Do you remember Superstorm Sandy? Monday, October 29th, 2012. Here's the moment that I remember most. Uh, now to Battery Park, WCBS reporter Alex uh, Silverman. It is a dicey situation there. Steve, this is absolutely astounding. The power has been cut to Battery Park. It is pitch black. I am standing in front of Castle Clinton, which has stood here in Battery Park since 1808, and I can tell you right now, it has a moat. It is surrounded by water. The water has overtaken the seawall. I cannot see the seawall. It is totally gone. still gets me when I hear that tape of, of Alex. I still have the photograph that he texted me that night in my phone. I still look at it and think it's the most amazing thing to think of. The battery in lower Manhattan here saw an amazing 14-foot storm surge that night, and that wasn't even close to the worst of it. Subway and path tunnels saw epic flooding and crippling water damage. Thousands of homes and businesses were destroyed. $20 billion in damage to the city alone. 43 people lost their lives. Seven years later, the recovery from Sandy continues, and it continues to be mired in red tape and confusion. The pain of that storm, the trail of victims, continues to this day. Welcome to 880 in Depth. It's a new weekly podcast where the staff of WCBS News Radio 880 takes a deep dive into a local story to shine a light on it. And there was no bigger local story uh, in recent years than Superstorm Sandy. I'm jo- I'm Tim Sheld. Actually, I never even introduced myself. Sorry about that. I'm Tim Sheld. Welcome. Am- Thank you. <laughs> and I'm joined by my friend and my colleague and a very talented reporter, Peter Haskell. Peter has done an extensive job of reporting on Sandy over the years, and most recently on Sandy and the rebuilding, including some digging, Peter, into the city recovery effort called Build It Back. What is Build It Back? Build It Back is the program that city put together to basically administer the federal funds, get them to homeowners, get them to business owners, get them whole, get them together, give them whatever assistance they need. and Rental, new homes, reconstruction, rebuilding, etc. Even buying a home out and, and com- in and some areas of Staten Island and other places, they say homes don't belong here. And to be clear, we're talking about a program that involves New York City. We're not outside the the, the confines of New York City for for this topic that we're talking about. Build it back is purely New York City recovery effort. Correct. The program put together to help residents and businesses in the city. I mean, when you remember the first views of the destruction of Sandy, it was amazing. I mean, I remember a couple of things. I remember seeing photographs of the Rockaways, and it looked like moonscape, right? Remember that? So a couple of things that come to mind to me the first day was going to the East Village and seeing cars all askew and thinking, what's going on here? And talking to people and saying, oh, yeah, the water was up however many feet, the cars floated. And I peered inside and I saw, I don't know, what I would describe as driftwood in the back of a car. And there's just debris. And cars are perpendicular and they're askew on the street and they're in the sidewalk. And I'm thinking, what the heck was going on here? And the stories people told were 
horrific. And, and you, you know, you know when you have a fire and it's a terrible moment and you see people and they've lost everything and there's nothing left in their home, multiply that by tens of thousands in communities like the Rockaways. Go to Staten Island to talk about the, 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 the communities that were by the water there and entire neighborhoods were wiped out. That's where many of the fatalities actually occurred as well. And one of the crazy things about Staten Island, and I have these vivid memories of homes that were leveled, is that people who you think they're they're kind of far from the water, and it didn't matter. So you had the, you had the ocean come up on one side, Father Capadano Boulevard, and then you have these marshy areas where people, you know, maybe a couple of inches in the water, uh, inches of water in the street every now and then, and they had eight, ten, twelve. 14 feet of water in their streets, in their homes. So, I mean, I'm not being facetious here. By by some accounts, Build It Back deserves a medal. They've handled, um, what, 30, 31,000 homes in the program have received full benefit if you, as you said, include construction reimbursement, rental assistance, acquisition of their home. In, the, in 31,000 cases, the applications that were received were fully... Uh, I don't know, you know, satisfied? Would that be, well, satisfied, satisfied is, not is probably <laughs> not the word you want to lose, use because even people who had their homes fixed say there's a problem. It, it wasn't done right. Now, the fact is there were a lot of good contractors and a lot of bad contractors. And bad contractors came in, made promises they couldn't keep, got payments from the city, ran away. They, in some cases boosted the costs of these homes threefold because instead of, you know, as my dad would say, instead of getting a Chevy, they wanted to build a Lexus. And what you ended up with was homes that not only weren't to scale, but weren't what people wanted and never got completed. So wrap for me the reporting that you've done over the past couple of weeks about where we are with complaints about Build It Back, and I guess specifically in this case about Staten Island, right? So we've been on Staten Island a few times over the past couple of weeks, and, and what we heard the first go-round was that homeowners moved into their homes, the properties were quote-unquote finished, but they weren't. People talked about air conditioning that didn't work, heating that didn't work, They talked about calling, build it back, can't find anybody. They found indifference, they found ineptitude, and they couldn't get satisfied. Three or four people talked about moving into homes. Guess what? The pipes weren't insulated. Last winter comes along, pipe breaks, they got another flood. They've got to move out again. And they called the city, and the city's like, well, well, we'll get to you, we'll get a contractor, or they just couldn't get a human being to talk to them. And that created great frustration. The flip side is you've got some good contractors. And these, we've spoken to a few of them who say, we did the work. We've got the documents. We've got the emails. We submitted them. We submit A. They say, no, no, A is not what we want. Submit set of papers B. They submit B. No, no, that's not what we want. Submit C. They cannot get paid. We spoke to a contractor, uh, Gregory Manasalakis, this is a guy who just wants his money. Tell me what you've been dealing with with Build It Back and SLS. So I've been done with my projects for over a year. The, the last project to be over a year. My homes, even my warranties are up. You know, I think I have uh, one or two months on one 
one home. Uh, basically, I should be out the door right now, but I'm not. I have payments that have been from three years past, and I, I'm just trying to get answers, and every time they keep on telling me, yes, we're going to pay you, we're going to pay you, haven't got anything for about three months right now, four months. How much did they owe you? How many jobs did you do? I did I did 14 jobs for them, and they owe me roughly $450,000 right now. What have you been paid? I have been paid... Uh, I don't want to give the specific number because I can't remember to this point, and I don't want to give roughly. inaccurate... Yeah, but, yeah, what percentage okay, roughly? I've been paid about 89%. Okay. That's not including change orders. What has it been like dealing with this group? It's just, like Gary said before, paperwork from paperwork, paperwork, everybody telling, giving you, uh, uh, telling you, yeah, you're going to get paid, you're going to get paid, and then just never getting paid. What is that like to deal with? You tell me. How, do you, how would you feel if you took on a job expecting you to get paid a certain amount of money, and then they keep on telling, oh, next week, oh, next week, oh, you know what, uh, how about we give you, instead of a dollar, we give you 70 cents, or we give you 30 cents. And then you're taking that because you just want to get it over with, and they're still not even giving you that. When you have reached out, have, have they been responsive in, in negotiating with you, or it's just even hard to find them? Well, certain times they, I can't find them, but they give me the same exact answers. You know, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. We're getting it done. Nothing's been done right now. You get the runaround. The runaround. What do you do now? I don't know. That's why we're contacting the news. We don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do at this point. Going to court, you know how long that's going to take to get my money? Forget about it. It's a, And like Gary said before, it's affecting my business. I should be taking on other projects right now, but I'm spending my time trying to, you know, figure out how I'm going to get paid. So we should take a step back. He refers to SLS at the beginning. That is the program administrator, the construction manager. So the way it works, the city has the money. It gives the money to SLS. SLS pays the individual contractors, and somehow there's a disconnect. What about the homeowners themselves? What's... um You did a story a couple of days ago about these guys um, being owed so much money and so desperate to get this money that they're putting liens on the homes of folks who were victimized seven years ago? Right. They're basically being re-victimized. So again, the city pays SLS, SLS pays the contractors, and so the contractors are owed the money. The customers are the homeowners. So if the contractors aren't paid, the way it was described to me was basically a last resort is to put a lien on the home. And the idea, according to the contractors we spoke to, is not to punish the homeowners. It's to put pressure on the city to pay. So we spoke to a homeowner, Thea Frischer. She had all kinds of problems with the work. She calls, she calls, she calls. She can't get it done. And then one day she goes to the mail and she gets a lawyer's letter. Tell me about this letter you you have here. Well, I did receive a certified letter on October 22 from a law firm in Manhattan, Dealey, Silberstein, and Braverman. And they said they will place a mechanic lien on my home because the city has failed to pay DSW all of the amounts owed for work performed on my home. 
it's very disturbing to me. Uh, I'm assuming I've never had a lien placed. I mean, my dad raised me to eat bread and water, but pay your bills. And now I get a letter like this, and I'm a victim. I'm caught in the middle. Place a mechanic lien on my home? I mean, to immigrants, buying a home is like the biggest accomplishment in your life. And to get a threatening letter like this, and then they say in the letter to call these phone numbers, call the city, call SLS, and you call and you leave messages, and it's not, your phone calls are not returned. But uh, this will affect people's credit rating. I understand 30, at least 30 people got letters like this. Um, Assemblywoman Molly Otakis's office has a list, apparently, of homeowners that received this threatening letter. When you opened this letter and you read what this was about, what was it that like for you? I couldn't believe it. I said, with everything else, I have to add this to my list of problems, my list of issues to deal with. It's just very unfair because I'm a victim of Department of Finance with property taxes. I'm a victim of the tax assessors because they have to do the right thing. Now I'm a victim that I'll have it lean, a mechanic lien placed on my home because the city is not paying the contractor's bill. Um, you're, you're still a victim. And many people have said the hurricane was a piece of cake compared to this. The torture that we have gone through uh, since Hurricane Sandy is, I don't expect people to understand the hell that we've gone through. Sorry. Seems like it shouldn't be this hard. Shouldn't be, but the reality, it is. It is. It's just one thing after another. This is absolutely heartbreaking. This is a, a woman who's a senior citizen. She frankly was built a home she didn't want. She had a bungalow. She's now up 15 feet. So to get into her house, a senior citizen, she's got, I don't know how many stairs. The other thing, you go into her house, the kitchen table is covered with all these documents, folders, emails that she received, notebooks. She keeps copious notes because she wants to be able to prove what she was promised, what she was supposed to get, and what happened. And she's not alone. We've spoken to so many people who just talk about crates of documents because they can't get done. One other thing to note, she talked about the fact that some people feel this is worse than the storm. And for someone like her, she doesn't take that lightly. She stayed at home. She admitted it was a mistake. 12 feet of water in her home. She barely escaped alive. What did you do? How did you do this? I had, uh, uh, there was one step to go, one high step to go in and out of my bungalow uh, in the front and in the back door. And I uh, had wheelchair ramps because my mom was in a wheelchair. Bungalow living was wonderful when you're a senior. It's easy in, easy out. And uh, I... Uh, the water just 
in minutes, it was up to my chest. Um, I did want to go in the attic. I jumped on the kitchen table to try to swing myself up into the attic, but the table flopped over from the water. So I went out the back door, and the wooden wheelchair ramp I had uh, broke off from the connection to the house. Thank God. The nails were rusty. And uh, it floated just enough to keep my head above water. So I was out there for about four hours. Um, I pushed it over to the side. I wanted to go to the front so somebody would see me. And uh, when I saw all the cars floating around, I thought I might be crushed. So I stayed back there on the floating wheelchair ramp. And then my neighbor's niece saw me from her. She has a high deck her dad yep and she tied sheets together and a weight at the bottom of the sheet and tossed it because the wind I mean there were thousands of water bottles floating around and she actually towed me over to her garage roof and from there we jumped over to the her deck and into her house and I stayed there for two nights. I get chills listening to her explain that. A woman on her own, she talked about the wheelchair deck. Her mom had died prior to Sandy so she was by herself. And this is what she's up against. This is what she survives and she still cannot get satisfaction. So uh, let's let's bring this full circle. These are people that are tied in a straight jacket of red tape. It's It's embarrassing actually. Uh, it's outrageous. Um, and it, admittedly, it's probably not a ton of people, right? Not a ton of people. Hundreds? Dozens? Hard to say. I mean, I think it's easily dozens, probably on Staten Island. It's probably 100 or so. Is it plus or minus 20? Honestly, I don't know. It's the biggest city in America. Biggest city in America, seven years later. Here's the thing. You reach a point somewhere where the program's not working. Figure it out. Fix it. And there have been elected officials, other elected officials, who represent these areas, and they say, figure it out. Fix it. And we spoke to Assemblywoman Nicole Malia talks about it. She represents part of Staten Island. She's been very vocal about it. And she just thinks the city needs to get the mayor, the mayor needs to get the city to fix this. Look, I, I think the job's not complete. You know, we have family members that are still either not in their homes or in their homes, and there are major issues um, that are taking place in the homes due to the contractors doing bad work. And, you know, these issues need to be addressed. And I've told Bill Dipak that these issues need to be addressed before they leave the island. They were going to leave about a year ago. And yet we still have either homeowners that are not back in their homes or people have major issues like their pipes freeze or they don't have uh, proper insulation. Um, They're having just issues with appliances that never worked from the very beginning. Um, and so, you know, they need to resolve these issues. So what was the city's level of responsiveness before? And if they're not physically here, what is your sense of what it's going to be like for homeowners trying to get satisfaction? 
Well, I really think that the mayor needs to personally get involved in these issues because the Build It Back office wasn't being responsive to the constituents. This is why elected officials like me had to intervene and push the city to come out here and finish some work. And while they did you know, respond to us, they still left a lot of things outstanding. You know, they'd go into someone's home, they would fix two or three items, and they would just not finish the overall job. Um, and so I think that's just so much, it's been so frustrating for these residents who have already gone through so much, lost everything in the hurricane, have been dealing with red tape for the last seven years, and to this day are still battling with the city. It shouldn't take elected officials like me to get involved and, and embarrass the city to do what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and one of the biggest issues we're facing now is with the liens. And you know, homeowners now, after all they've been through, are now having liens placed on their po properties by contractors who are not being paid by the city of New York. And so the city needs to really resolve this issue as soon as possible because they're instilling a lot of fear into homeowners who are being caught in between the contractors and the city and no fault of their own. So we know there's been reporting over the years about Build It Back, and we know the challenges of taking federal money and other money and making sure it gets spent in the right way and protecting against fraud, and there's no question uh, that that bureaucracy is going to mire the situation. I was looking at an older article from earlier this year that Katie Honan did in the Wall Street Journal, and I think there was a study that came out at the uh, beginning of this year that talked about uh, Build It Back, that of the first 20,000 people that signed up early on in this program, 10,000 people simply drifted away. They, uh, they either got tired of the process or they stopped in the application. So they were, they were you know, they, they dropped out. And so what happened in some of these cases, perhaps many of these cases, the people who could afford it just said, are you kidding me? I've had enough. I'm not going to wait around anymore. I'm going to take my own money. I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to fix up whatever way I can. And many of the people who were left had no options. They were stuck. So um, I know you spoke to the city or you had some conversation with the city. Can you just well, let's wrap up the conversation with what we know that the city can tell us about this situation? Sure. So the city in terms of the, the city, first of all, in terms of the homeowners says we have people available. They just need to call in. Here's our number. We take care of it. We're responsive. Homeowners tell a different story. In terms of the contractors, the city says, look, we need to be on the lookout for fraud. And we have, admittedly, a very strict auditing policy. We want to make sure that, that tax dollars aren't being ripped off. And yes, we do ask for documents, and then sometimes we ask for more documents, and we want to make sure it's right. Well, I'm sure that's true. But we've spoken to contractors, a handful of them, and they each know others who say it's not that simple. Again, they bring in the paperwork and the audit process. Some have called abusive, and they are still waiting to get paid. Now, we will say, uh, based on a certain amount of yelling and screaming, what we have heard in the past week is that there's progress. And some of the contractors have heard from the city in the past week, and the city assures them that, A, they're going to get paid, and B, they will get meetings, conversations, to try to iron out whatever is unresolved. Now, I spoke to one contractor who said, it sounds great, I'm a hopeful, but, but I've heard this before, and I'm really not going to take the city at its word, I'm really not going to believe it till I get that check. 
Last word, Peter. This is um, I'm, I'm so happy that we had an opportunity to expand on this project. You and I have been talking about this for a week or more in terms of how to lay this story out and, and who we want to talk to. And I don't think it's we've heard the end of it. I think that we can continue to pursue um, with the city, with the city council, uh, with uh, the mayor's office, with the Build It Back people. And I think that uh, the, the, the more the light is sh- uh, shown on this, that the you know, these people might get some satisfaction, but it doesn't seem like it would take that much to solve this pain for these people who've gone through so much. Well, you brought up the number. How many people are there? We we don't know exactly, but the fact is it's not a big number. You had 31,000. So if there are 1,000 left, if there are 500 left, if there are 800 left, it shouldn't be that hard, at least to the uninitiated, it shouldn't seem that hard. So it's heartbreaking it's frustrating for these people they're still having to deal with this and be victimized again and again and feel ignored and unheard and hopefully sooner rather than later they can get satisfaction they can be made whole great um peter thank you very much peter haskell from wcbs uh technical assistance in there um uh, from ray martell who is in here hey ray would do me a favor can you cue up that that music again so this is a podcast that we're going to do every week. It's called In Depth. I may not be the one. This was my uh, audition, so I may not be the one doing it every week. I'd hire you. But I can tell you, Peter, you're coming back. I can tell you for sure. i got a million topics that I want to talk to you about. Um, but our plan is to, every week, drop a podcast on some of the reporting that we're doing on the radio station, on our digital assets, and sort of dig into something and, and, um, and make this long-form content available um, because it's important. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.